Once again, good morning. It's awesome to be with you. If you have your Bibles with you, again, I encourage you to have a Bible uh, open on a phone, on a tablet, a, a Luddite version, the printed one. Yes, we read from the Bible. Yes, the verses will be on screen. But I've been encouraging people, and I'm going to do it until, <laughs> well, until what? The cows come home, as my mom used to say, every week. I really want to encourage you. It's good for you to be in it, marking it, looking at it, and not just listening. Uh, so I want to encourage you to do that. We have Bibles at the back, by the way, by the offering table. If you don't have one with you and you want a Luddite version, the printed version, you can grab one of those. And if you don't have a Bible, take it home. Uh, those, that's what they're for. So we are beginning today uh, to continue, pardon me, in our series, Christ, Our Living Hope, First Peter. We're going to be in chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. So open your Bibles there. <sighs> yeah, so uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I, I think I said this in the first couple of weeks. Um, it's not like I've avoided First Peter in 13 years, but I don't know why we haven't gone here before. Uh, so glad we have. It's been, I've been really encouraged by it and loving it uh, because of what the Holy Spirit is showing me and hopefully us. And I've been hearing back from actually lots of you. Uh, and so that's good. Um, it's just an incredible letter. And so today we're going to be um, looking at, believe it or not, just two verses. And so some of you are already thinking, good, short sermon. (laughs) Uh, Okay, no. Um, Reasonable, I hope. Um, Peter, writing to the elect exiles in Asia Minor, those who are being uh, persecuted for their obedience to the word of God, to their lifestyle, to the way that they're living, which is definitely counter-cultural. It's an amazing, amazing letter. Today, and the reason why we're looking at just two verses, uh, many commentators would say, and I would agree with them, that this is the hinge. This is a hinge point in the letter. This is uh, the point at which Peter is going to go from all of the things that we've been looking at earlier called orthodoxy, the foundational indicatives of who God is and what he has done, and more going into the practical side. Orthopraxy, how we live it out what our conduct as Christians should look like in this world, and for good reasons. So read the text with me, and then I'm going to pray one more time. It won't be on screen, so read with me. We'll come back to them later. Verse 11. Peter writing to the churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray. Yeah, gracious Heavenly Father, uh, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit. Oh, We just want to thank you today. Um, Well, we thank you for so many things. A sunny day, beautiful, beautiful creation all around us. Uh, A beautiful community that we get to live in and live out our lives um, before you and before this community. The, The fact that we can come here on a Sunday morning and be a testimony to literally the street saying, we're here to worship you. We're here to worship you. 
We're giving testimony even in that to our faith, that we, we believe in you, we trust you, we love you. Lord Jesus, we believe you're coming again. And so I want to thank you so much, Lord, for this letter, for Peter, Holy Spirit, for, first of all, doing an amazing work in his heart and his life uh, to the point where at this age, at this point in his life, he is writing this letter to his beloved brothers and sisters in Christ in Asia Minor and Holy Spirit by extension to us here today. So I pray as I often do, would you please help me this morning to communicate this word, to speak some truth from this that we will all benefit from, that we will all find helpful, that will help us to live out this calling that you've placed on our hearts and our minds, this good will and blessing that you have for our lives. And I pray this in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. So this week, I don't have three points for you. But I have a sermon title for you. <laughs> and for those of you who are visiting, it, it's, you know, not every week is it, like, there's the three points, you know, and, and or even sometimes a, a direct title. But this week, I just have a good title for you, and I think it's a good title. And I want you to remember the first two words especially. The title for the message today is, So That They May See. Everything in these two verses is Peter appealing to us, as he does to himself, to, to understand that what God has done for you and I, how he has blessed us, how he has honored us, how he has agape loved us and poured out that agape love into us should not make us selfish. It should instead inspire us to go and agape love this world to share that agape love that we possess as believers in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit so that they will see. Remember those two words, so that, this morning. So as we begin today, let me remind you of one of the key attributes, if not the key attributes, of all of the things that Peter has been showing us in the first chapter and a bit into chapter 2 about who we are in Christ. Out of all the indicatives, and we've been using these English language words and also theological words, which are important, I believe, for us to understand, the orthodoxy, the theology of who God is and what he has done, these foundational things that we have to know and understand and trust and believe before we can actually go into this world where we are going to be submitting ourselves to various trials and sufferings and persecutions. What he's done for us in Christ There is one key imperative, one key that Peter and the Holy Spirit, I believe, is encouraging us that we must give ourselves to. It's an area of our character that he wants us to focus on more than anything else. It's the highest calling that we are called to. It is the calling that Jesus so perfectly himself lived out. Peter summed it up in the previous chapter in verses 15 and 16 when he said this, but he, as he, pardon me, who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your, look at that word, conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now we've been over that a few weeks ago. And that is a huge challenge for us, right? 
because none of us in this room are yet perfectly holy like Christ, are we? But that's what we're to give ourselves to. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we can become being made more holy every day, every week, every month in this life. That is the goal, and that's the direction that we want to go. So this then is where our text for today starts, I want to suggest to you. It is the foundational core that we must give ourselves to since, beginning in the 13th verse of this chapter, Peter is going to go on and press into some very, very practical things. He's going to, yeah, it's going to be fun in the next few weeks. He's going to be talking to us about how, as we live out these holy and obedient lives, we are, we are to submit ourselves, here you go, to government. Can't wait for that one, right? That'll be next week. You'll want to show up. But we're, we're to have a heart that is submissive, that, that realizes we're, we're, we're probably not going to like the situation, but we're supposed to have a certain posture. And he's going to talk about government, our relationship there. Oh, and then he's going to talk about marriage, husbands and wives. Oh, that's, that's great. That's awesome. And then parents and children. And it's going to keep going on, slaves and masters. And how do you conduct yourselves in a world that is very, very different than the kingdom we've been called into, the kingdom of God? And so this is all about right now he wants to guide us on our journey in the how then we should live in the midst of these things. Or again, fancy Greek word or translated into English, orthopraxy. How we live out our good conduct in this world as followers of Christ. So after, uh, pardon me, over the past two Sundays, we've discovered how completely and wonderful we've been agape loved. We spent a lot of time on that a few weeks ago. By our Heavenly Father, which is what makes it even possible, friends, for us to be able to follow the imperative that Peter gave to us and the Holy Spirit does repeatedly, makes it even possible that we can agape love our brothers and sisters in Christ, let alone the world. This is not a human thing that we can agape love sacrificially, no matter what, unconditionally love everyone, all the time, even those who hurt us and persecute us. That's agape love. That's agape love. And so that is the only reason why we're capable of doing that, and our neighbors as well. So the point that Peter has made is, look, you've you've already been purified. Okay, hold on. You've already been purified if the Holy Spirit has entered your heart and life and you've been regenerated and you are now alive again unto Christ and made holy so that we can actually be being made pure and be being made more holy. It's a process that we're in, right? You again, and we've learned this last week, have been honored by God. Man, we spent some time on that last week because the Holy Spirit said to me before I got up, Glenn, you missed something. (laughs) You, You missed something. How honored are you? Do you realize how honored you've been to be chosen by God to be his? To be welcomed into his family? To be forgiven of your sins? To to be welcomed into his forever family in the eternal kingdom? Do you realize that? He's caused us to be born again, to be redeemed and welcomed into his family and kingdom. Listen, so that, there you go, right? so that you and I can live honorable lives in this world today. And that's in our text today, isn't it? That's why Peter goes to being honorable. We'll get to that. 
So now let's discover exactly what that means and looks like. And listen, I want you to be prepared for something. Remember uh, a while ago we went through the Sermon on the Mount and we looked at that word makarios in the Greek. Not trying to impress you. I only know a few Greek words. I, I look them up in my lexicon when I'm studying every week. Okay, so, but it was, it's the word that's translated in our modern Bibles for blessed. But we realized it, it should probably be translated more like flourishing to give the right idea. And so Jesus is speaking to, on the Sermon on the Mount, these uh, Jewish second temple sacrificial system uh, followers who are out listening to him, and he knows what their worldview is. But he's also speaking to Greco-Romans who have a, you know, a virtue-oriented worldview about... And both of them have this, these worldviews that, at the end of the day, are hopefully going to lead them to the good life, which was the title for our sermon series, you know, Human Flourishing. And you do remember this. Jesus basically said to both of them, both of the worldviews, yeah, you got it wrong. <laughs> right? He basically said, yeah, your, your, your idea is, is that you can accomplish this. Through human effort, human effort, you know, keeping the law, being good and being virtuous, you can eventually arrive at the good life. So he flipped things completely upside down. Why? Because the kingdom is countercultural. It's not the way of the kingdom. Same thing happens here as we look at our text today. So verse 11, it'll be on screen for you. Peter says, Beloved. It's a form of agape. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Again, mentioned this a few times in the series that, you know, we all know Peter, you know, we all know him you know, foot and mouth disease, you know, thinks he's got it right. And several times Jesus goes, Peter, no, you will deny me three times, et cetera, et cetera, right? You know, but he's a capital A apostle, that we know, right? He's an apostle. He, he's he's uh, one of the 12. He's chosen by Jesus to be one of those. And so, you know, due respect. But by the same token, we sometimes forget the fact that actually as he's writing this letter and he's in he's in Rome and, and uh, he's writing this letter and, and he's, he's, He's an elder pastor in a local church there. And, and he's planted, like Paul, churches, but he's, he's really writing this letter to the churches in Asia Minor as a pastor. He's got a pastor's heart. I have a little bit of an idea how that feels. I'm not Peter. And so I have a question for you. Do you think Peter ever experienced trials and persecutions? As an apostle, let alone as an elder Pastor Christian. Yes? <laughs> hey, six or seven years after he writes this letter, he will be crucified upside down by Nero. It didn't just start six years later. It's been going on for some time. Why upside down? Because he didn't want to dishonor his Lord and be crucified in the same way as Jesus. Another question. Do you think that maybe he ever had someone disagree with him? <laughs> Even as an apostle, right? And likely as a pastor. Did he ever have people say terrible or horrible things about him or comment that, yeah, that sermon this Sunday really wasn't that great? <clears throat> or, I don't agree with you, Peter, and your understanding of God's word. You, you think it's even remotely possible that he may have felt that way. I know, rhetorical questions. 
Of course he did. Of course he did. Everyone who stands up here, everyone who actually shares their faith in Jesus, everyone who proclaims the truth of God's word is treated that way from time to time. So my point, trust me, is not self-pity, although it could be. It is that after all that, he's been an apostle, a pastor for 20, 25 years. After all that, he is still able to write to the people in Asia Minor and address them as beloved. That's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. The word is also found, it won't be on screen, but it's found in Luke chapter 9, verse 35. You know this. It's when Jesus is being baptized, right? And the verse says, a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my, hello? Beloved son, same word, my chosen one. Listen to him. The word is agapetos. It can be pronounced beloved, beloved, or how about be loved? It's a beautiful word. So I, I want to suggest to you, Peter is able to address the whole church, those who are in Christ as beloved, brothers and sisters in Christ, because he himself, despite the trials and persecutions and criticisms that he has personally received. Peter has not only, listen, experienced agape love. Everyone in this world has experienced it based on common grace. But he has had agape love poured into him by the Holy Spirit of God. Therefore, he possesses it. Therefore, he's actually able to remember. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, Lord. Yes. Yes. I can still love this brother or the sister in Christ. That's important. I would suggest to you, very, very important. So, and after all this lovely intro, this beloved, right? He's going to go on. He's going to go on. So, friends, I want to ask you about his position and, and the way he's able to behave. Should that not be our posture every day and in every way, first and foremost, to people who are brothers and sisters in Christ? Again, rhetorical question. Of course it should be. Of course it should be. But my question is, is it? Is it really? Well, again, the answer is, well, not always. But again, why? Why? Why isn't it always that? Well, it's in our text today. It's because we are still in a war We are in a war battling our old sinful nature, which the New Testament often, as Peter does here, describes as our flesh. And so just like any pastor, leader, or church member has to deal with those who mistreat them and hurt them, and listen, sometimes, listen, sometimes, yes, people hurt us and do things that are wrong to us, including pastors, and church leaders, and elders. Yes, that does happen. The scripture, Matthew 18, Jesus himself gives us a remedy for that. Oh, that we would all go to that in those cases. That we would do that. And so, too then, we feel the pain of being mistreated by a brother and sister in Christ. But again, if we have the agape love in our hearts, we can 
as Matthew 18 says, after the instructions on how you go to a brother or sister who has offended you or sinned against you, forgive them. Oh, man. And so now, after that lovely intro, beloved, Peter goes on to use a very, very Pauline type of language, right? He goes, I urge you. Some of my favorite verses. You, know, you all know them if you've been here for a few years. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. When Peter gets to the imperative, Paul, pardon me, gets to the imperatives in Romans. I beseech you, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your act of worship. And of course, he goes on to, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, right? And all of those things. So Peter urges them, and first look what he does. Again, he, first he reminds them of their identity, but he adds a word, which is incredible. It's awesome. He hasn't used this word so far. He calls them sojourners and exiles. Before, listen, before imploring them what not to do. So when Peter adds the word sojourners to our identity, he's moving, I want to suggest to you, to the very present tense and to the future. He's talking about right now and to the future and in this way. He's already established these things, and you know it, but I'll repeat that Christians, as a Christian, we have been chosen, elected, um, and caused to be born again and to live this, pardon me, to a living hope in Christ. And so, therefore, we know from that our position in Christ is secure and, listen, it's perfect. It's perfect. However, we also know there's work to be done in us. We're already firmly established in Christ. We are God's children, members of his family, and we are members of his forever kingdom, as I've already said. So that is our position. It is secure. It is actually perfect. In the meantime, in the meantime, between today and the day that we either die or Christ comes again, please, Lord, that would be my preference. But until that day, there's still work to be done. Until that becomes the perfect reality in our lives, there's work to be done. This is the, then this is how we should live reality of our days and our lives. In light of what God has done, there is still the issue of our practice. And so we have our position, which is perfect. It's secure. It's unchanging. If you're in Christ here today, he loves you. He cannot love you any more than he already has and does. There's nothing that you will do that will cause him to uh, love you any less. It'll impact your life and your Christian walk, which we will see, but he loves you. And if you're in him and you know it and you've received the Holy Spirit and his agape love has been poured into your heart, it's good. You're secure in Christ. And so there's this issue of our practice. So sojourner then speaks to the journey we are all on while we are being sanctified, Why are we, while we are being made holy, while we are being purified. You know what? There is actually something we've got to do, though. We've got to submit ourselves to that. We've got to agree with the Holy Spirit on and on, as we'll see in our text today, to wage war against our flesh so that we can grow in this way. So it's about sanctification, right? It's about sanctification. It's beautiful what he says. So listen, back to that verse, verse 11, and I want to go to the second half of it, basically. He says, so as we head out on this journey, basically, as sojourners in Christ, Peter wants us to understand 
uh, as Christians living out our lives in these days, he begins with something about what we're not to do, which points, of course, to our sanctification and the war, look at that word, the war that we are in. So abstain is actually a great word. It's an, uh, uh, it's an amazing word. It, you know, as children, none of us li- like to be told to abstain. Did we? Did you like that? Don't have another cookie. Abstain. You know, do you like that today as an adult? Abstain. Don't have that third drink, okay? Abstain. If you've got a problem with it, maybe abstain. You don't like that. Only being told what to do. But Peter is saying, abstain. And it's a great word. It literally means this, though, to distance. Ah. Separate. To distance oneself. So, and actually from something or someone else. This urging by Peter is obviously in the negative and must be, again, so that... It must be in the negative so that he can actually get to the positive. We've got to understand the negative. What we're dealing with in this time in our lives before we can go about living good conduct, honorable lives in this world, in the area, relation to our government, our marriages, our children, and each other, and on and on it goes. So that's really important that we get that. So abstain or distance ourselves basically from the passions. And again, see that word? It's plural some of you say, well, I just have one passion. No, you've got many passions. I do. Okay, let me, can I be really clear? I'm going to get into stuff this morning. It, first and foremost, I've got the T-shirt, okay? There isn't pretty much any sin or aspect of what we'll be talking about this morning that I have not, ex- except for murder, committed. Well, and a few other really bad ones, but... Okay, so please, please hear that from that heart. These are passions, plural, of the flesh. So what exactly does that mean, or how does that apply to our lives today, do you think? So I think, first of all, it's important that we also know that Peter is not saying that these passions of the flesh, that he's calling us to abstain from. Listen, he's not saying, like, look, this this might be the case in your life, or or maybe you, but maybe not you, but maybe just, you know, those other people you know about, or or maybe it's just occasional, it's not really a problem for you. (laughs) No. He's, he's actually not putting it that way whatsoever, is he? He's, he's essentially saying that he's not implying that this is a possibility or a maybe. He's implying that for every single one of us, you, me, every one of us, are in this war. We are battling the passions of the flesh daily in our lives. It's just the truth. It's a reality. And that's what he wants us to come to, is truth and reality. So Peter also has in mind their location. Because sometimes people think about sojourners, we're on a journey, you know. It's the journey of life and all the rest. Yes, there's a component of that. But really, Peter is speaking about their social context. He's got that in mind. He's been there. He's gotten letters back from the churches, what the struggles are, what the passions of the flesh are, what these previously mostly Gentiles, pagans, who've come to faith in Jesus Christ are now being drawn back into. Why? Because it's happening in their social context in a major way. 2,000 years ago. Keep that in mind. Please keep that in mind. And so Peter has in mind, as I said, the, the context in which they are living and not just the journey that we're all on. Social context that they're living in, that is what he has in mind. That they are actually feeling like, and they should, aliens, exiles, 
outcasts. That's how they're being treated. And worse. And worse. So related to the culture they find themselves in, this is interesting as I looked at it, and I believe I got this idea from one commentator. They are those who in that day were actually the socially excluded from privilege and power. Huh. That's interesting. Some of you who have been looking at or reading about some of the theories in our day today, yeah, it's the the Christians, it's the Bible-believing Christians over the past hundred years at least, who have been in the, the position of privilege and power. And we need, to, we, need to, we need to tear that down. You know, we have been torn down. And in some cases, and for some reasons, the church deserved it. Why? Because, well, partly because the church believed we, we, de- we deserved a position of privilege and power. We got Jesus. We've got the truth. We're actually back in our day today, I want to suggest to you, in very similar context and conditions to the church in that day. It's actually a good thing. It's in circumstances like that over history where the church has exploded. If, if, yes, we'll get to that. So first, these passions are not only temptations to return to sinful activities that we've practiced before our faith in Christ and being born again, but also the passions of the flesh that are at work in this slowly warming pot of soup that we live in or that we've been grown up into. You know, I don't know how many times I've heard this either from my kids or from people who are Christians going, well, everybody's doing it. Obviously, that doesn't mean it's good. The pressure is immense. It's so accepted in our world and culture today, and therefore it's a temptation. So there are many, I, I want to get into this passions things with you a little bit, which I think will be fun. Um, many mistaken views, by the way, that people have today about these passions. One commentator put it this way. They are not, I love this, they are not adorable pets that just need a little house training. Or things we can apply the, quote, in moderation tag to as we are advised to do with alcohol. These passions are not good things either. Listen, God has given you and I good passions. We should be passionate about his creation. Of course we should. We should be compassionate. We should be passionate about marriage and about our spouse and about our children and about our brothers and sisters in Christ, about the mission of the church, about the lost. Of course we should be passionate about that. And yes, rock climbing, mountain biking, whatever. Yes. Until it becomes an idol until it potentially becomes an idol. But listen, these passions of the flesh that Peter's talking about here, I'm sorry, but they're not just metaphorical and external. They're not. There are also literally passions or sins of the flesh, which, listen, include sexual immorality, which includes sexual relations outside of marriage, what the Bible calls fornication. Sex before or outside of marriage. So, so listen again, these people who are part of these churches, for the most part, most of them were like, well, that's what we were doing, <laughs> right? Again, I got the t-shirt here. Please don't anyone take this the wrong way. This is not 
condemnation. This is just truth and reality. You heard me quote some statistics last week about, sadly, the, the lack of foundational theology that people have. Christians who attend church two to three Sundays a month believe about God. Are you aware of the fact that 58% of young men and women who attend a local church under the age of 35 do not believe that sex before marriage is a sin or that at least it's not good for them? This is in God's word. And, and so most of the people who came into the church in that day, that's, that's what they came out of, and, and that's what they still see going on. And so, come on, is there still not the temptation? Lastly, on that point, let me just suggest this. Uh, I've counseled many young men and women who, in our church in the past, and I'm not thinking of anyone present, believe me when I say this, um, but, you know, like where, where it was like, you know, they're now married and they're having some difficulties and, and there were a couple of circumstances where it was like, look, I, I think it's really important that you repent, like truly repent before God, that what you did before marriage was not good for your marriage because is it not part of the problem today? And sometimes what I would hear, I would hear this response. Yeah, but look how it's worked out. We did get married and yeah, but you're in counseling. <laughs> okay, it's not funny, but... So it includes sexual relations outside of marriage or before marriage, but obviously it includes adultery. Obviously, sex with someone who is not your spouse. So listen, this too in Peter's mind is very much in view. That's why I feel this morning we need to go there because it is in view. And it's because just like today, the gentle pagan culture that they were living in was very liberal and was obsessed with sex. This is not a new thing. It's not a new thing. It's age old. It's what Jesus came to save us from so that we could live these holy and purified lives. And so they had normalized their attitudes towards sexual passions in that culture in such a way that it became a real struggle and was a continuing struggle for Christians to avoid that. I feel like that is as well today. So Peter urges them, pleads with them to abstain, to distance themselves from all that. And why? Because again, look at, his, look at the words in the verse. I think it should be back on screen if we can put it back up. The words are abstain, distance yourself. Because why? It, it's warring against your very soul. So Christian, I've said this before a few times, and some of you go, Glenn, you repeat yourself a lot. <clears throat> well, so does the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, well, here, here, here it is, and I think it's important. The devil, Satan, who is our enemy, there's no question. Uh, he has one plan. He, he is very simple, and it's worked for him most of his life, his existence, since he was cast down out of heaven. He has one plan, and his plan is basically... He's our enemy, and he has one goal, and, and that is that he looks at every human being who's created in the image of God, who has the Imago Dei, which every human being on this planet has, and listen, based on that, he hates you. He hates you. Well, he hates God. And even if you're not a Christian watching or here today, and he hates you. Why? Because there is a, there is a reflection, uh, even a glimmer still in your heart of the Imago Dei. And he sees that. And so his plan A is he wants you to die without Christ. 
That's his plan A. I don't know how successful you think he's being, but, but his plan B is this. If that doesn't work, Christian, he wants to cause you to be functionally dead during your Christian life so that you don't actually enjoy it. And so that, as we're going to see, your witness will be null and void. It will be non-existent in this world and culture, mine too. So we learned about the devil in the spiritual warfare series that, look, he's a liar. The scripture tells us that he's the father of all lies. There's no truth in him. None, zero, not even a little bit. He's the father of all lies. He lies to everyone, Christian and on, and specifically to related to three things. He lies about who God is. He lies about what God has done, basically by causing people to suppress the truth about what God has done. And finally, he lies to us as Christians about who we really are in Christ. Oh, Glenn, you think you're such a good Christian. Really? Do you remember how you talked to Janice last night? It didn't happen this week. Okay, I'm just letting you know. He, he does that. He's called the accuser of the brethren. Brethren, a collective word for men and women in our culture, in our world. He's a liar. The tagline that we used in that series, which was about the world, the flesh, and the devil, except we flipped it around, the devil, the flesh, and the world. The tagline was, he, the devil, provides deceptive ideas. He just puts them out there puts them into people's minds, into hearts, into governments, into, into the collective culture, deceptive ideas, the devil, that appeal to our disordered desires, passions, the flesh, that have become normalized in a sinful society, the world. That was our tagline for that series. And so that brings me to our final point on this war. Our text makes it very clear. I don't know if you noticed this who the war is with. And this might be a surprise to some of you because some of you are going, yeah, I know who it's with. It's with the devil. Or it's with them, the world. Actually, the text says that the war is in you and me. The war is in our hearts. That's where the war is going on. It's literally within us. The Bible describes our hearts as the core of our being. In other words, our heart is our soul. It's the center of our being. And it's war. So Peter first wants us to understand this war, this daily battle we are all in, and why we need to abstain and distance ourselves, in fact, flee from it, is so important first before he can get to what's next, before we can even understand the next statement. Do we understand? I think we spent enough time on that. He then says, in the beginning of the next verse, therefore, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So Peter urges us to be aware of and deal with it, look at, so that as those who are being purified, being made holy, being sanctified, so that our conduct our orthopraxy, the way we walk out, talk out, and live our Christian lives will be a faithful witness to the world and culture we live among. So keep also could be translated maintain, right? And, and so listen, you know, the Christian life, I like to say, is it should look like this. It should look like a curve, right? And it's going to be ups and downs, yeah, sure, but the, the curve should be up and to the right. And if it's not, you should be concerned. But at least... 
And you get to a certain point, it should at least maintain. <laughs> I think about it like a little bit like cruise control, like you put cruise control on at 105 so you don't go 110 and get a police officer pull you over for speeding. Okay, bad analogy maybe, but I was just thinking that maintain. Stay strong is really what it's getting at here. Maintain. It's really an important word. So Peter is again urging us to keep our conduct the way that we behave and live among a pagan, unbelieving culture all around us. Peter Peter uses the word, be honorable. Be honorable. Maintain your honor. And so now we need to ask ourselves, well, what does that mean or refer to? Well, for starters, let's remember Peter's words at the very beginning of chapter 2. Again, they won't be on... uh, screen, but I'll read them for you. He said this. So again, speaking to them, put away all malice, all deceit, and look, hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And I highlighted the word hypocrisy for us because that's certainly one reason Peter calls us to be honorable. And so come on, I know you know this. We know this. How honorable it is it for you or I to be here on Sunday morning singing praises and worship to Jesus you know, confessing our sins before one another and listening to God's word, you know, and checking the box and breaking bread and having communion. And then we leave here and we go to the office tomorrow morning and we are nothing but a gossip. We're not talking about other people. Yeah, you know, that other person, you know. I mean, it's okay to talk about how bad the Canucks are, but, you know. No, we we go out there and we gossip at work, at school or on social media. Or how about actually, listen, how about actually being drunk? or using profanity, right? Basically living in such a way that completely discredits our salvation. Obviously, at that point, when we're living that way and behaving that way, there's no way we're going to go, and by the way, Jesus died for my sins and yours too. So what does that mean? Well, our witness is going to be null and void. We're not not living the life. That's what he's getting at. Another view I want to suggest to you that Peter has in mind is that our conduct would be honorable in that we are, as he will take us through in the weeks ahead. We are appropriately, listen, respectful. I know this is hard. Trust me. I've pulled my back, myself back from social media a lot, and I know others have too. It's hard, but we need to be respectful to those in authority over us, those who God has placed in authority over us as Christians. As in those days, one's reputation is important, right? A bad reputation can make it very difficult, especially when it comes to your employment. The early church, and certainly Christians in Asia Minor, were suspect suspect for many reasons. So in part, Peter is basically saying this. Listen, don't go out of your way to be persecuted. (laughs) Don't go out of your way to have the church maligned and, and called down and called various names, and on and on it goes. Don't go to your way to do that. Be appropriately respectful and not see every hill as a hill to die on. Oh, man, okay, look, T-shirts, okay? I have a closet full. I've said that before. It's... But there's more, and that's why Peter goes on to say, here you go, second part of verse 12, so that. All of that that came before, So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see. So that they may see. Sermon title, pretty simple, right? 
It's right there. Your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So again, as we often see in Scripture, whether it's Jesus, Paul, or Peter, it's not, listen, guys, you know this, it's not a matter of if, (laughs) as a Christian, if you're living this life, behaving in the way that you do, adhering to and obeying the Word of God and calling the Word of God truth, it's not a matter of if you will be persecuted, it's when. No, pardon me, did I put that? It's not a matter of, yeah, yeah, it's when, when, thank you. (laughs) Sometimes I do get lost up here, okay? It's not a matter of that, right? So, So Peter, in conclusion, is saying this, battle your flesh, be in the war, with the Holy Spirit's help, and you will win the war, then go and be of good conduct, live lives that are truly honorably before men and women, before the world, before the culture, so that even when people, listen, look at this, call your good deeds evil, so that even in that they might see your good deeds and themselves glorify God on the day, in the day of visitation. So there, there's a bit of a twist there, isn't it? Because you would think, well, living honorable lives, it's about, okay, so, you know, they're, they're going to they're see your good deeds because you're, 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 you're agreeing with what they believe are good deeds, but, but no, it's not that at all. They're going to call your holiness and your righteousness and your obedience to God's word and what it says about everything in the culture, including their sexuality, they're going to call that evil. They're going to call that evil. They're going to speak against you and I as evildoers. They will, in fact, then be calling our holiness and our righteousness, God's holiness and his righteousness, evil. Friends, you do realize that in this day, let me ask the question rhetorically, are we not those who apparently hate other people? Are we not those people? Because we simply disagree or are obedient to God's word and his will for us? Are we not the intolerant and phobic ones because we obey God's word, abstain from fleshly passions, and live out a holy life and encourage others to do the same because it's God's will and plan and best for them? I think we are. So then again, so that they may glorify God on the day of visitation. What does that mean? Well, again, there's, there's a school of thought out there in what I would call extremely capital C conservative circles that would say, yeah, that's the day of judgment, right? That's the day that, you know, if they don't believe in Jesus and they don't stop what they're doing, they will be judged. Their sin will be judged. Yeah, that day is coming. That, I don't believe, is what's in view here at all. It's actually much kinder than that. And the context here and later will actually show us that. It's the day that when, listen, After watching and watching and watching the church, Christians, living godly and faithful lives in their homes, in their churches, and at the best of their ability in the world and the culture, they actually are visited by the Holy Spirit of God. And they too are regenerated, turn from their sins, receive the forgiveness of God, and end up glorifying God with us right here. That's what that is getting at, I want to suggest to you. So friends, in order for us to live this way, it will mean, it must mean, that we adopt a counter-cultural lifestyle. 
I know most of you. I know most of you do, want to, are, to the best of your ability, but I also know we all struggle. We struggle with the pressure that's going on out there. We do. We really do, and that's understandable. Please understand, again, this is what we want to share. God wants his will for everyone on this planet, but his will for them is his best. The best for them is what he wants. So, can I just remind you, before I close this morning, of your true identity? Because I honestly don't believe that I do this well enough, that when we leave these doors on a Sunday, we realize actually who we are, completely. And, and, and we don't truly realize what world we're in. <laughs> can I just encourage you today to, to, to own and, and really possess the fact that you're a chosen exile, that this is not your home, hashtag not my kingdom. Like really, not, not because you, you want to have nothing to do with it and, and you don't want to share the agape love of God, no, but that you really know it for yourself and for myself. I want to leave you with a little vignette, a true story from many, many years ago about a Cambridge professor. His name was Basil Atkinson. As soon as I saw Basil, I thought of Faulty Towers. I thought, this is going to be great. Basil Atkinson was an old man, um, a lifelong bachelor, and he was well-known in the area of Cambridge University and the city of Cambridge. The town of Cambridge is about 100 miles northeast of London as being very eccentric as a Christian. And so what he would do, uh, which was very eccentric, is he would take a little soapbox and he would stand outside the university in the main area of Cambridge where university students were walking by him and the public was walking by him, and he'd be preaching the gospel. Open-air preaching was his thing. Rudy would love this guy, right? We all probably should. Sometimes students, of course, would heckle him and laugh at him and mock him. If you did that outside the ledge today, what do you think would happen? Well, it happened to him. It did. One day, and this was recorded by a friend of his who was with him, saw this happen. A young man walked by, and he was preaching about heaven. He was proclaiming heaven, and of course, and hell, probably, but he was preaching heaven to these people, right? And one young man says, what do you know about heaven? Sarcastically. Professor Atkinson, who this man was attempting, obviously this young man was attempting to make look foolish, smiled, apparently in his meek way, as his friend recorded. In a godly manner, uh, he answered the question, what do you know about heaven, when he said this. It'll be on screen. Well, I live there. <laughs> I live there. I am a citizen of heaven. I've actually come from another world. The definitive characteristics of a different culture, they're mine. I love Basil. I don't think I can actually improve on what he said, but I was wishing he might have also said this or asked this question first. Do you believe in aliens? And then he could answer and say, well, you should. You just met your first alien. I'll leave you with that. Let's pray.